Journalists are known for being stressed out, over-caffeinated workaholics. And given everything we deal with on a daily basis, it's no wonder that's a stereotype. News breaks around the clock, working hours are erratic, it can be hard to say no to your editor and even to yourself. And it hasn't gotten any easier in recent years as layoffs, the rise of fake news, and physical threats rock the industry. Ken Armstrong is a senior reporter at ProPublica, and he said he didn't know how stressful a job would be when he was first starting out. Earlier this year, a journalism student asked me a really good question. Um, what is the one thing you know now that you most wish you had known early on? And my answer was stress. When I was a young reporter, I wish I had known how stressful the job would be or could be because then I might have planned for it. Uh, I might have come up with some strategies for coping. We can be sued. We can be subpoenaed. We can be set up. We have to be on guard constantly. What other people call paranoid, we call best practices. We worry about losing our jobs. Some of us have jobs where our performance is measured by clicks. The list is long, it's familiar, we all know it, we've all lived through it. At the 2018 IRE conference, Ken joined Palm Beach Post reporter Lulu Ramadan and Houston Chronicle reporter Mike Hicksenbaugh to talk about managing stress. On this bonus episode, we're sharing some of the audio from that session. You'll hear Ken, Lulu, and Mike discuss times they felt overwhelmed, offer tips on how to de-stress, and share best practices for maintaining a work-life balance. I'm Claire Mitzel, and you're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. When you're just starting out, it can be hard to say no to an assignment. Traumatic experiences can be especially challenging. Three years in her first job, Lulu has already covered three mass shootings. The first was Pulse uh, shooting in Orlando. I was 21. I wasn't even a year on the job and uh, just kind of got sent out. I didn't have much time to process except for the two-hour drive going out there. You know, what, what a tragedy to kind of confront as a young journalist and to just show up and be expected to go. And so it was very overwhelming. Um, I never said anything. And uh, less than a year later, we had another mass shooting in Fort Lauderdale, and um, I was sent out. Same, same sort of circumstances. You go there, it's chaos. It's, um, I'm sure some of you have experienced it. Um, incredibly overwhelming. Uh, I didn't say anything. <laughs> and then, um, you know, then we had the Parkland shooting recently. And uh, again, first one on the scene for my paper, and it was a, a team effort covering it. But, you know, you're out there, you're... you're experiencing it, you're talking to people, you don't really have a lot of time to process, and then um, it wasn't until uh, the first day of coverage there was like sort of a lull, you know, things died down a bit, and I, I realized this is the third time I've done this. Lulu decided to share that fact on social media. Her tweet read, I envy reporters who only covered an out-of-the-blue mass shooting once upon a time. I'm 23, at a community paper, and Stoneman is my third. It got a lot of attention. I didn't expect it to. The tweet received over 12,000 likes, 5,000 retweets, and had almost 300 replies. Journalists who had reported on mass shootings responded with advice and support from all across the country, from Las Vegas to Newtown, Connecticut. So I was lucky to connect with those people and, and, and find out a little bit about 
um, you know, how you can cope with this and how you shouldn't internalize it. And so uh, it wasn't until after the Parkland shooting that I asked for my first mental health day. I didn't think that that was a thing. <laughs> you can't do that, right? You can't just like go to your editor and uh, three years into your career and be like, I need a day off. What? <laughs> We're reporters. We don't have days off, right? And so um, it wasn't until I was given advice by some reporters who had been in these circumstances from other newsrooms. And um, I had a really frank conversation with my editor about it. And, you know, and it was after the tweet, and he actually um, initiated the conversation, which I appreciated. And um, saying, you know, hey, how are you feeling about all this? I think they were really concerned because the tweet was kind of ominous, like, you know. And but, um, and I was like, well, you know, thank you for for talking about it. Yeah, the job does get overwhelming sometimes. I know I can handle it. I'll never take on, you know, uh, anything that that would be too overwhelming. But but yeah. Ken said the best editors already know how stressful the job is and should be accommodating and willing to talk. My last editor at the Marshall Project was Bill Keller. And Bill was the executive editor for the New York Times for eight years. He's probably heard everything. He's the best listener I've ever had for an editor. Um, I would get him on the phone. I would vent. I would vent. Because like, we're, we're, we'd have a partnership model. So often it'd be like, and he would just listen and say nothing. And he just knew I'd be better the next day. The best editors already know how stressful the job is, and they'll be very accommodating. If you run into the opposite of that, it's time to find a new editor. For young reporters especially, it's important to learn how to advocate for yourself, Lulu said. Talking to your editor about work-related stress is one option, but it's also good to find a mentor who can offer advice and support. If you don't have a a mentor-type program or, or system in your newsroom, that's something that's helped me a lot. I was fortunate when I when I got to the paper. Within a couple of weeks, I had a reporter take an interest in me, and um, she was, you know, very kind and, and came to me and was like, "I want to be your mentor." And she's a, you know, very talented, longtime reporter. And um, I was like, "This is fantastic." And she would help me with, you know, my writing, reporting, but also just talking to me about uh, newsroom issues. And and as uh, our relationship developed, she also became an advocate in a sense. So uh, when we were in meetings and, you know, or when I was really feeling overwhelmed, I could actually tap into her and, you know, um, have her come talk to my editor with me and kind of explain things a little better. And if you don't have those support systems in-house, Lulu suggested turning to online communities. Um, After uh, I sent that tweet about the covering mass shootings, um, there were people that reached out to me about um, these groups that they'd created on Facebook. And one of them was actually, um, Pointer did a great article about it as well, but it's called um, Journalists Covering Trauma. And so that was just simply a group of journalists on Facebook who, who've all experienced, you know, um, in one way or another, covering some kind of a tragedy. And, and they reach out to each other. They give each other advice. You can post questions. You can talk to like-minded people if you're worried about talking to people in your newsroom. You can, you can uh, talk to others who have experienced it and uh, get advice. Sometimes stress doesn't stem from a story. Mike said that's something he grapples with as an investigative reporter for the Houston Chronicle. He's a husband and a dad to four young kids. When he applies to new jobs, he said he finds out early what the work-life balance is like and makes it known to editors that it's important to him. I consciously look away from opportunities that you know, would stroke my ego and make me feel really good about how great I am <laughs> and feel like I'm achieving things. And it's hard to do that sometimes, but you know, I, I've seen too many instances where young people choose to, 
priorities in the wrong order, and they don't last with it. Here's Ken again. Many years ago, I made that tough choice. Went to work at the Seattle Times, and I did it because it was a paper known for having work-life balance. And it was a tough decision to make, and Jim Bruner was sitting in the front row is laughing at that now. <laughs> at the time, it was known for having work-life balance. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. It really is a paper that prides itself on encouraging its people to have a life outside of the newsroom. Sometimes your life becomes part of the story, compounding personal and professional stress. During Hurricane Harvey, Mike juggled reporting on the storm with ensuring his family's safety. At one point, a rising creek essentially trapped the family in their home. Mike and a neighbor took a canoe out to get some food. When he got back, his phone rang. And that's when I got a call from my managing editor. And he said, Mike, I'm pulling you off of daily reporting. I'm, like, I'm not really reporting right now, but I'm pulling you off. And it's day two of the storm, but we want to do a long-form narrative for next weekend telling the story of Harvey and what happened here, which was still happening. And I was sitting in my car charging my phone in the garage, you know, and I just felt... Like, I wanted to do that story. I mean, we live for this. Like, we want to do that. But I'm like, my wife thinks our children are in danger. She's been watching people carrying their, you know, their families out of their houses on mattresses. She's really freaking out. And I've, I'm left with this, like, how do I balance this? How do I take care of them and uh, do what they need and also do what I, you know, I'm called to do in my profession? It's a common question, one most journalists face at one point or another. You know, I've seen, even I'm, I'm 33, and I have seen people's marriages be chewed up by this job, and I've seen people uh, who just get washed out of it because um, I think that they've wrestled with that same tension, whether they have kids or not, they've wrestled with that same tension of where does my life start and my work begin and what takes precedent. Once Harvey's floodwaters receded, Mike was able to get his family to a friend's house. Everything was calm, we were safe, and I, I began, I worked on that story for every, you know, every waking hour for four days. It was an, I love Vernon Loeb. It was an impossibly insane assignment to try to pull off in that amount of time. Uh, the other two reporters also were evacuated from their homes and had children, so it was like, what is happening? It, but we pulled it off, and it, you know, it, you know, was it ready for Sunday's paper? Saturday evening as I'm driving home after working 20-hour day after 20-hour day, and uh, we're back at our house, and I had just this in the car, like all of this weight just kind of release, and I had just like this good, like 30-minute cry, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I felt so good afterward because it was like, you know, and, and but what happened, you know, if you know, if you look at the, you know, I was in this situation where what am I going to do? I did not launch into reporting. I told Vernon when he called me in that tense moment, like, I don't know, like, I want to, but I, my, I think my family, I got to take care of this. I got to figure this out. I'll call you tomorrow. And he said, okay. And that's what works for me. I got them to a safe place. I got, I took care of that. And then I was able to focus on the job and, and do it really well because of that. And I would not have been able to do that job had I worried about them at all. So 
So what are the everyday things journalists can do to keep stress at bay? Ken surveyed three dozen journalists in preparation for his June talk to find out. Everyone copes in different ways, and what works for one person might not work for another. There's no clear-cut answer to this question, he said. But if you've ever wondered how some of the best in this business deal with their jobs, Ken had some answers. Uh, Rosalind Adams runs marathons. Marty Baron takes walks. So does David Gran. So does Laura Frank. Manny Garcia prays, uh, as do Raquel Rutledge and John Diedrich, who happen to be married. So they can also talk to each other because they both know what the other one is dealing with. They're both investigative reporters in Milwaukee. Pam Colliff checks in with fellow writers. They talk, they buoy each other. Uh, Simone Weichselbaum at the Marshall Project does the same. Uh, as she writes, talk it out. When you're feeling stress, talk it out. Um, a lot of journalists stress the importance of exercise. Uh, Nigel Jockwitz bikes, Carrie Aspinwall swims laps, Mary Duan and Rachel Alexander lift weights. A lot of journalists do yoga and swear by it. Uh, in fact, their answers get into the different kinds of yoga and the comparative benefits of them. Um, the advice that people gave really fell into several categories. Exercise was one of them. Another was unplug. Get away from social media, get away from your phone. Uh, Wendy Ruderman at the Philadelphia Inquirer has given her phone to her 14-year-old son and said, do not give it back to me until tomorrow morning. <laughs> and he complied. Uh, another one was stay organized. And that can take any number of different forms. Um, clear your desk, keep your spreadsheets up to date, uh, put your documents into three ring binders. Everybody has their own definition of, of being organized, but a number of people said that the stress melts for them when they feel like they've lost track of the things that they need to keep organized. It's common to want to vent and complain when you're stressed out, but there's also a line you shouldn't cross. Don't use your friends and colleagues just to complain. That creates a cycle of negativity. Ken works from home, so he said he taps into a group of other remote journalists who always call each other and talk about their problems. But they also have boundaries, so it's not always negative. We'll go out and we'll socialize, we'll have beers, and then we try to table that. You know, so we kind of put them in silos. You know, the phone calls are for what you're describing. Um, going out and, and, and having a few beers is for fun. Because you kind of, you have to have both. You're right, if it turns into something where it's exclusively where you're complaining, that will poison a relationship. You're gonna lose that friendship. So we just, we just silo them. My, my person actually works at another newspaper. So when I wanna complain about what's going on in my own newsroom, it's you know a person from a different paper who has a totally different set of uh, issues that they wanna also complain about, but still relatable. And so you know we're, we know we're there for each other. Thanks for listening. If you're an IRE member, you can download the full hour-long audio recording featuring Ken, Lulu, and Mike. We'll have a link to that and other resources in our episode notes. If you're new to the podcast, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can also browse old episodes at ire.org podcast. The IRE Radio Podcast is recorded in the studios of KBIA. Sarah Hutchins is our editor. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm Claire Mitzel. Thank you.
Podcast.